Good morning. This is the Executive Girlfriends Group, and this is Kitty Fitzgerald. It is Friday, June 15, 2012, and I am just delighted to introduce to you our guest today, Gloria Self. Gloria, you may know from her uh, her leading role for, for a very, very long time as an advocate of women and, and really an icon uh, in the feminist movement. And, and no matter what you think about uh, that particular word, Gloria has really blazed a trail for us. Good morning, Gloria. Good morning, Chicky. I'm just really delighted to be able to talk with you, and I think Executive Girlfriends Group is a great idea. Well, it's funny because I did the very first call also from a parking lot here in Phoenix uh, three years ago, and I found out later that the first day I launched this group call was on National Girlfriends Day, which happens to be August 1st. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, so it's funny to be back back here in Phoenix again, and, and it's funny because two days ago I was uh, down in Tucson and I was meeting with um, uh, Susan um, Butler, who uh, was my guest two weeks ago, and Susan was talking about the whole issue of inequality uh, both in pay and in senior leadership positions and in board roles, and she's really on a mission to change that. So uh, this is really, really timely that we would follow up that call two weeks ago uh, with this discussion. And uh, Gloria's most recent book is a book called No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power. And uh, so, Gloria, why don't you just tell me a little bit about what you've been doing uh, over the, the, the last few years. I mean, I know, know those who know you uh, certainly know of your time with uh, Planned Parenthood and, and some of the other things that you've been involved in. So catch us up. Well, thank you. I, I've been um, I've been an activist for women, as you know, for for many years, for decades. I think when they start calling you an icon, that means you're getting really old. And uh, but 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 that's okay. I've 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 got a lot of um, a lot of passion and a lot of energy and a lot of plans. I I've decided I have to live to be 120 in order to to do all of them. To do everything. So I'm taking care of myself, and I'm, I'm going to be here. So, Good for you. so I, you know, I came to my work with Planned Parenthood and with women's reproductive self determination from the bigger lens of civil rights and women's rights on a much bigger canvas. And so, I, I seven years ago when I decided that a 30-year career with one organization had been just about right. Um, and I wanted to start writing books on, on a full-time basis and making speeches and, and actually using many of the things that I had learned on the front lines and on the job, I wanted to try to turn those into ways that I could translate them and perhaps help the next generation of women move forward in, in, in a successful way. And so so right now, I, uh, my latest book is called No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power because I became obsessed with that topic. And I began to, uh, when I realized that the doors are open, but when you look at, at uh, oh, anywhere, anywhere you look, women are stuck at 18% or so of the top leadership positions. That is across all sectors, whether it's right, right. the for-profit workplace, whether it's the um, politics, uh, and then we know there are lots of issues around personal relationships as well. That in mind, and, knowing mm -hmm. the doors were open, what I found was women weren't walking through them quickly enough right. 
to get to Perry. Yeah, and I, I think that that's the really that's the really interesting uh, piece of this that that we have been talking about for the last few weeks is that no one is really keeping women from that parity except themselves, and and that we aren't helpful enough to one another uh, as we could be, and and so. Your previous book, and I don't want to dwell on that, but I am fascinated by the title of Send Yourself Roses, and that was a book that you co-authored with Kathleen Turner. And so have there been other books besides those two? Yes, I wrote two books while I was still with Planned Parenthood, both on on those topics. One was called Behind Every Choice is a Story, um, in which I did what Margaret Sanger had done in the 1920s, and, and I, I, I combined and, and wrote a book around the letters and stories that women had sent me. I felt like it was time for the 21st century women to be able to tell their stories right. about how they learned about sex, childbearing, uh, birth control, all those things. I loved that book. And then the second one was the political version of that called The War on Choice, The Right-Wing Attack on Women's Rights and How to Fight Back, which I'm sorry to say right. was published in 2004, and it's still pretty darn accurate. So, <laughs> Well, go, going back to that first topic of how girls learn about sex, I was sharing with you before we started the, the recording that my daughter is up at this camp called Wings to Fly, which is all about teaching teen girls um, lifelong self-esteem. And yesterday... They they wake the girls up, and there are only 20 girls at the camp, 18 to 20, and they wake them up at 6.30 to the sound of babies crying. And the previous day they had, been, they had had all the sex discussions, right? And so yesterday they were all presented with five-pound bags of flour with the face of a baby on it, and they had to carry it all day long. They couldn't put it down unless they negotiated with somebody else, you know, to go to the bathroom or something. And because my daughter attended uh, – you know, two years in a row, she was handed two babies. So oh, they got twins. Twins. <laughs> yes, and so I can't wait to hear about that story. But, you know, you, you think about how we do get educated. And I know you uh, yourself were, were a teen mother. And so the, the passion uh, around that whole topic is, is clearly very strong. But I want to do transition to your current book and, and the nine ways women can change how we think about power. Because, again, if we are, in fact, our own worst enemy uh, in, in getting to the place of really what we deserve to begin with, um, you know, it has been a proven fact that those companies that have more women in executive leadership or more women on the board are more profitable. So why is it that the investment community continues and persists, um, you know, to put men in those roles and not, to put programs in place to raise the women up. So how can, what are the nine ways we can change that? <laughs> well, let, let me, uh, if I could just take a quick step back and do a little deconstructing of there, I think there are two parts to, to, to how, to what you said just now. The first part, and this is really important to me, is that, that yes, it's true, I believe, that nobody's going to walk us through the doors except ourselves. We have, we're at a point now where we have changed the laws, we have changed policies, and so you can't expect anyone else to step aside for you. You have to take your own self through to where you want to go. But I, I wrote No Excuses not to blame women for where we are, but rather to inspire women to take right. that next step and to realize how important it is that each time one of us makes progress, we actually are helping every woman. 
because we're setting the stage for the next woman who wants to move ahead. So, so I mm. so, so I want to start from a very positive perspective. I think there are too many books that tell women what's wrong with us. Right, right. I, no, I really love about, that. I love yeah, that. I'm about helping helping women do do things to make our lives better. Now, secondly, I think that there is a there is a cultural narrative, and this is one of the things that we're fighting. It's it's a, it's what you call implicit bias, and you find this in the workplace, and it's part of the answer to your question about why the companies and why the the investors aren't racing to help women out. And this implicit bias is it tells women and it tells men that women don't help each other, but in fact, that is not true. And there are there are there are a number of studies that have shown that when women are accomplished, they actually help other women quite extensively. And in fact, Catalyst just came out with such a study this last week that women do help other women, but that doesn't mean we can't learn to do it better. And I think right. there are two main things, and then we'll get into talking about the the power tools in the book. But in particular, we got to learn to raise our hands. You know, if you, do, you my daddy used to say, if you don't ask, you don't get, right. and that is so true. And because women still defer, and we don't always ask, we often don't negotiate our entry level salaries as aggressively as men. We don't put ourselves forward as aggressively as men for that next promotion. Well, we get left back, and so that's that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is that we can learn to network with purpose, with greater purpose and intention. I, I said this at a at an event last week. I spoke to a Chamber of Commerce event last week in, in upstate New York, and it was really interesting. I saw all the men nodding their heads when I said this, that <laughs> women need to learn that networking is not just about relationship building. It's, it's also about asking for what you need. Exactly. And making an exchange and saying, and I will do this for you. It's purposeful networking. So those are two things we can do immediately and easily. Right. One of the things we talked about uh, with Susan a couple of weeks ago was that women um, tend to think in the mentor um, kind of thought process of finding somebody to mentor them and help them along rather than focusing on finding sponsors for what they want to do. And I think that that's right in line with what you just said, is that we're we're not uh, conditioned for the ask. That's right. The funny thing is, and, and you know, I mean, uh, this is certainly true as we ask men to help us as well. Men love to help and give give them a problem, and they love to solve it. And once I realized that, it was so much easier to do the ask because I didn't have to be apologetic. Yes, I, yes. Apologetic is something that we as women often do. If you listen to our speech, our speech patterns very often will say, "Well, I'm sorry to ask, but," <laughs> or "I probably, you know, you probably know this better than I do, but." Right. So, what one of the things we can do is is to change our language. We can literally lop those self-deprecating phrases off and just start with a simple declarative sentence. Exactly. Exactly. I just had that conversation with one of my team the other day because I noticed on on our conference calls with our client that that was her pattern of continually saying, uh, you know, that I don't know this. And I said, you know, simply ask the question. And I I coached her to put put it on a, a three by five card and put it by her phone. That that same phrase that she finds herself using. And you know, I think if we would just record ourselves in a call with a client 
for coaching purposes that we would find out what our phrases are. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It, I liken it to being bilingual. We, we have to talk. We have to talk male as well as female language. And you yes. know, when you are when you are the dominant group, you don't necessarily have to do that. But when you are a group that is still trying to find your place and get to equality and get get your full what's due to you, you have to understand and speak the language of the dominant group as well as your right. own language. Now, here's the thing. You know, for many years, women thought they had to be like men in order to succeed. But what we now know is we do much better if we're authentically women. We have to be, you have to be authentic. You have to be, you, I think integrity is one of the greatest and most important attributes of any human being, any leader, or any employee of any organization can have. And if you have that integrity, if you are authentically yourself, then I think you you actually are more likely to succeed. And and you know why those studies are saying that companies with more women in their upper upper management and boards make more money. Do you know why? Do you know why the World Bank says that parliaments with more women have better decision making processes? It's because the very qualities that women bring to the table are what the world is crying out for right now. And so we need to use that. We need to leverage that. We're, this is our moment. I, I'm very optimistic. Well, I am as well. And, and you know, it's it's by having uh, these things exposed, I think, that, that we really do make progress. You know, Gloria, I, I know that you did a lot of interviews uh, for this book, and, and there are a number of uh, anecdotes and, of course, the historical historical perspective that you've just talked about. What are some of your favorite interviews uh, from the book of, of women that have really uh, broken through that barrier and uh, and made a difference? Oh, my, there are so many. Um, I, I interviewed a young woman, and I'm thinking about her right now because I, I, I just found out, I mean, she just got married last year, and, and she's just about to have her first baby. And I'm just, I just think she's so fantastic. And she actually, um, her whole family immigrated to the U.S. from Colombia. And she is, I would say she's, she's an example of living the American dream and not letting anything stop her, whether it's a gender or anything else. Um, she, uh, you know, her mother cleaned houses. She, 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 you know, she did not have a silver spoon handed to her. She worked her way through college. Um, and she went to Washington because she was interested in politics. She worked for several members of Congress. And then she started an organization called Voto Latino. Her name is Maria Teresa Kumar. And she uh-huh. started Voto Latino um, in order to educate uh, Hispanic voters all over the country and encourage them to, to uh, you know, to, to, to become engaged and involved in, in the political process as they as they became citizens of the U.S. And, you know, she said, she has a funny thing that she said. She said, um, she said you know, because I always say that power is not a finite pie, that it's an infinite resource. And she says, oh, yes, she says, she says, "Show me that pie. Show me that pie. I, <laughs> it's a very right. big pie. There's no limit to that pie." And and she's just got that optimistic attitude that I think is the woman of the future. Wow. Well, you know, I I think when we when we see 
limitations all around us, um, you know, we, we do get discouraged. And when we see no limits, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing what can be accomplished. And, and really, uh, the way that I was raised, my parents, I, you know, I, I would never have considered my mother a feminist, but, you know, I mean, she really was the classic uh, feminist who, who raised me to believe I could do anything. And I'm, I'm a college dropout, and I, I have done amazing things in my career and have just been so blessed. And, um, you know, so I, I can really resonate with that of, of, of not seeing that barrier. Why don't you give us another uh, another insight from, from the uh, interviews that you did? Sure. Uh, one of the very fascinating women that I spoke with, uh, she's fascinating because she speaks in metaphors, and that, that uh-huh. you know, that really engages you. If somebody can tell you a good story and you can see yourself in that story, oh, my goodness, doesn't that just, you, you'll never forget it. So right. this woman is named Julie Gilbert, and I know that uh, Best Buy is not having a very good year this year, but, but she worked for Best Buy about five years ago. For Actually, she had a pretty good career with them before she left about five years ago, and she was one of the few female executives, and she noticed a couple of things. One was that they had huge amounts of turnover among their female employees. Um, secondly, she said, I would notice that women – when they would drive up into the parking lot and they would get out of their cars, it was as though their faces changed and they put on a suit of armor. They just mm. weren't being themselves. And and then she was told that somebody, she, two things. Number one was that a very young employee said that called her a role model. And a female executive who was close to her level, although not quite at it, said that she didn't like her because, she, you know, she she didn't like having a, a female boss. And she took those two things and she thought, there's something, there's some dynamic going on here that's a problem. And then she noticed, because she was involved in, in customer service and, and marketing, she noticed that, I mean, she would go sometimes to the homes of customers and talk to them and try to find out what they wanted from the company. And she noticed that, Best Buy had been created as a company that was selling gadgets and electronic products. And when they started, that men were the primary customers for these kinds of things. But that over the years, now women were involved in almost every one of those purchases. Well, that fits because we know that women make 85% of the purchases of consumer goods. So, she, you know, if it was a television or if it was some kind of product that, that, say, 20 years ago the man would have decided about, now the woman is intimately involved in that decision, and maybe she's the decision maker. So she right. realized that the company as a whole had to change. How did she do that? She created a really extensive internal model of engaging women together and and it was more than training. I would call it developmental. And she right. patterned it after her metaphor was of the wolf, and that wolves have a very bad rap, just like women do. You know, people will say women don't help each other, or and but but and and they think that about wolves too. But actually, wolves are very social animals, and they're very loyal, and they do they they could not survive without helping one another. And so she began this whole developmental program for women. Two things happened. Number one their retention rate for women increased phenomenally. And number two, their their um, profits increased quite substantially on the other end. So 
she left to form her own consulting company about five or six years ago. But, I, I mean, I just I, – Wolf Means Business is the name of her company, and I think anybody who likes these metaphorical leadership um, st- stories would really enjoy looking at her website. Oh, I love that. I love that. So if if you could boil down just uh, maybe one or two things that that our listeners could do on an active basis, you know, every day moving forward, just, you know, committing that today is going to be a little bit different and I'm going to behave a little bit different, what would those few things be? Well, this brings me back to the, the nine power tools that I teach about. And I so let me just let me just take a few of them. Uh, the the first one is know your history and you can create the future of your choice. So it's about being connected with who you are and where you came from and learning lessons from it. The second power tool is define your own terms first before someone else defines you. And this, if I could only tell women one thing to do, this would be it. Because women are are socialized to care a lot about what other people think about us. And so we right. are very responsive. We are emotionally engaged in, in how people react to us. And so here, let me just ask you this. How many times have you been in meetings where you said something and nobody paid any attention to it, and ten minutes later a man said the same thing and it was it was just treated as the best idea ever. Did you ever <laughs> well, I, I think we can all say that, and, and I, I'm thinking uh, actually not of something that happened in a meeting, but I did a, a, a groundbreaking study and one of my male uh, colleagues in the consulting industry is about to launch one this, uh, this fall, and I know everyone will sit up and pay attention to the results, which, by the way, will be identical to our study. Uh, it really hasn't changed, but yeah, absolutely. So I, I, you're right. We've all had that experience. We all know that we go into meetings prepared. We have our agendas, you know, we have our written agenda printed out. We we know what we've done our homework, but then the men walk in without any preparation and just sort of. They're going. They're going. They're off and running. And so the power tool, um, this power tool to define your own terms first before someone else defines you has multiple levels. On the macro scale, it's about who do you think you are? What do you want the world to think about you? What is your brand? You need to decide that. You need to put it forward. You need to be the one who, 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 who creates whoever you are for the world to see. But on the on the more micro level, in things like business meetings, we need to know that that if our voices are not going to be listened to as carefully, or not being, they're not going to be given the same consideration as a man's voice. We need to think ahead of that meeting about how we can, in fact, be heard, how we can set the agenda, because whoever sets the agenda is usually the person who gets what she wants out of that meeting. Absolutely. So you've got to think ahead about it. You've got to be very thoughtful about it. Um, we need to say the first word. Don't wait to be called on. Don't wait till after three men have spoken. Be the first one to speak, but know what you want to say, what your point, what your one main point is that you want to drive home. And then say the last word. Make sure that you sum it up, 
that you were the you know one of the one of the secrets for in my life has always been to be the secretary of a meeting because whoever gets <laughs> to record the history you know absolutely that's right i i think that's a there's the power of the pencil is is or the mouse is very very strong so Say the first word and say the last word, but whatever you do, define your own terms first before someone else defines you because we're all going to be defined. Better we should do it for ourselves. Well, Gloria, I just this has been terrific. And again, Gloria's book is No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power. And uh, her book is available through all of the normal channels. We do have it available to our Executive Girlfriends Group members on the Executive Girlfriends Group uh, uh, book club site. And Gloria's contact information for our members will be on our private member site. But, Gloria, can you tell our other listeners how they can uh, follow your uh, your thoughts and your musings about this? What is the best way for them to contact absolutely, you? Absolutely, absolutely. My website is just my name. It's GloriaFelt.com. The only thing you need to remember is Felt is spelled F-E-L-D-T, just to confuse people a little bit. So um, it's G-L-O-R-I-A-F-E-L-D-T.com. And I have two blogs on my website. One is called Heartfelt, in which I talk uh, about current issues and, and politics and what's going on with women in the in the uh, public sphere. And then Nine Ways, in which I talk about leadership and women's relationship with power, and I tell some great stories about women that are very inspiring to me. And I um, I do a lot of speaking. I'm I am you can contact me through my website. My email is Gloria at GloriaFelt dot com, and I I have also turned No Excuses into workshops. So women's professional groups, entrepreneurial groups, um, all uh, academic groups, all kinds. It I, I can I, I love doing it. I my first career was as a teacher, and I'm I'm loving being back in that realm. And then I'm a social media addict. So if you just can remember my name, you can find me on on uh, LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. Way too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gloria, the next time I am in New York, I will definitely get in touch with you. And uh, just it has been a, a real honor and a pleasure. And uh, I am really looking forward to to plowing. I haven't had a chance to read your book yet because I uh, have a lot of things going on with the end of school. I've got young kids, even though I'm in my mid-50s. So um, we've been getting them all set for camp and and, uh, making sure that they're not bored for the summer. But uh, I am definitely going to sit back when I get back to Tampa and uh, get a, a nice cup of tea and sit in the corner and read your book. Well, Chicky, it's it's been a pleasure talking with you, and I love what you're doing, and I intend to follow you as well. And um, who knows, we may meet up in that uh, Safeway in Scottsdale one of these days somewhere <laughs> the aisle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Gloria, it's been a pleasure, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And uh, for our listeners, thank you so much for listening to the Executive Girlfriends Group interview calls. For more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, you can look at www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. Thank you so much, and Gloria, have a great weekend. Thanks, Chicky. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Thanks.